I'd like you to invite you to take a trip to the mall with me this morning. You're walking through your favorite store and you see a, a shirt and you think, man, this is really a cool shirt. I like this. And, and uh, so you try it on, it fits you, and you just take it. Um, you just walk out of the store. All of a sudden, the alarms are going off. The salesperson is sprinting after you saying, what's going on? Security arrives on the scene and says, what do you think you're doing? So you tell them, I'm taking this shirt. I saw it. I liked it. I tried it on. It fits, so I'm walking out with it. They say, you can't do that. You reply, why not? I like it. And they tell you, because you just can't. That is stealing. And you respond, you know what? I am sick and tired of this store. Every time I come here, all you want is my money. In fact, this whole mall, all they want is my money. Well, you walked into church this morning, and you heard me talk at the beginning about the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about the importance of your financial support of this church and if you're like many people in america i know we have no one like this in this congregation but like many in america you've said or thought to yourself at one time or another all the church wants is my money all they talk about is money well i've got news for you everybody wants your money the college you graduated from wants your money your favorite sports team wants your money disney world really likes your money the local car dealership is very fond of your money. The, lo uh, the local restaurants, the hair salons, the coffee shops, not to mention every nonprofit agency in, in town and your favorite Christian radio station, there's no end to the people who want your money. So why do we push back when it comes to the church and the things of God? If there's one universal con uh, characteristic of congregations that I've learned over 38 years of ministry, it's that people get weird when we talk about money in church. Have you ever noticed that? Whenever we talk about money, people begin to head for the exits, you know, or they think, well, I'm not going to come back for the next few weeks until the stewardship campaign is over. This subject makes me nervous. Well, I want to tell you something that I've discovered. We can't talk about being a Christ follower without talking about money. Have you ever thought about that? Take the word redemption. When we become a believer, a Christ follower, we are redeemed. That means we're forgiven, we're set free. Redemption is a financial term. God chose that word because he paid a price for our salvation. In Ephesians chapter one, the apostle Paul says this, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased, that's redemption, he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And then he, down a few verses, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. So just to become a Christian, we have to talk about salvation in money terms. We've got to talk about redemption. Just to become a Christ follower, we've got to think about the Holy Spirit because the Bible says the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of our inheritance. He's the earnest money. And you know what earnest money is. Once you give it, you can't get it back. That's one of the great things about being a Christ follower. The Spirit guarantees all that God has promised. And then the Bible keeps on going. But I won't read you all the verses, but it says that Jesus paid 
for your sins and my sins on the cross. God was literally buying back all of our junk, all of our sins, all of our rebellion through Jesus, his son. Now let me give you a fresh insight into scripture, at least I hope it is for you this morning, that is central to our walk with Christ. If you want to follow along, you can turn to the book of Genesis and just read chapters 1 and 2 sometime where it tells us how God formed a partnership with Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve in this environment called the Garden of Eden. This place was amazing, and God said, you know, go enjoy the garden, have a blast. But he said, there's this one tree that I don't want you to mess with. There's this one tree that's mine, so don't mess with the fruit of this tree that's in the middle of the garden, that's my tree. Well, the evil one slithers up to Eve, and what did he do? The evil one did not say, hey, Adam and Eve, why don't you just go to the other side of the garden, build yourself a tree house, and just be away from God. No, he didn't say that. He pointed to God's divine portion, and he said, why don't you eat from the, tree, the fruit of this tree? You see, he was all about trying to get them to take God's portion. The Bible mentions this in Genesis 3, 6. It says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Now this is very important. She ate the divine portion. She ate the divine portion and because she ate God's portion, what happened? She was cursed. Adam and Eve were cursed. Their whole world was cursed. They chose to be cursed. And I think that's a fascinating distinction. So we learn from the very beginning of time that God keeps for himself something of his own, a divine portion. And it's interesting how God formed this partnership with Adam and Eve. Let me put it in some other terms that we might understand. You've heard the, the name Bill Gates and Microsoft. This guy is amazingly wealthy. So what if Bill Gates came up to you today and said, hey, how you doing? I, I really like you. You have a nice personality. You look good. You know what? I want to do something special for you. I want to give you 90% of Microsoft. Just leave me 10%. That'll be my portion. Would you take that deal? Better yet, would anyone here refuse that deal? You see, we'd all be turning somersaults. Well, that's the kind of deal, the kind of partnership that God had with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, enjoy the garden. I've created you in my image. I've made you. Everything here is a gift from me. All I want you to do is show me your love. That's what God was saying throughout the book of Genesis. But there's this one tree. Don't mess with the one tree. Don't fool with it because that one's mine. Many of us in this room today are married. It's en is it enough to look at your spouse and say, I love you, just once in a while? Well, that's good, it's nice, but it's a start, but your spouse would like you to back that up. When you tell her, I love you, she doesn't just want to hear it once a year. She'd like to hear it over and over again. But my guess is that she'd also like you to show that love once in a while. Saying is important, but the proof is in the actions, day in and day out. And you know what, here in Genesis, that's what God is saying. It's all about love. God's saying, Adam and Eve, I love you. I'm crazy about you, but this is my portion. You say you love me. Well, then show your love for me by your obedience. But Eve chose to go against the grain. 
She chose to sin. She ate the divine portion. And it's very interesting as we unpack Genesis 3, 6, says the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She saw that the tree was beautiful. That was the lust of the flesh. It was pleasing to the eye. She, it, its fruit looked delicious. That's the lust of the eye along with the lust of the flesh. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. That's the pride of life. In other words, she was saying, I'll be God. I'll replace God. And the evil one was saying to her, hey, Eve, you can be like God. You can become like God. And that's why, and this is very important, that's why she ate the divine portion. I remember as a young person, my aunt and uncle were missionaries in Thailand and, and at the time, and they sent me a card for my birthday uh, that had a Bible verse in it that I will never forget. In fact, it's been kind of a, one of my life verses ever since. I love it. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and it simply says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Our part is to trust. But what does that mean? It means to be totally dependent on God. It literally means to lie down, face down, and say, God, I trust you. I trust the Lord in all of our ways, with all of our heart, with the totality of our being, not leaning on our own understanding. But here's what I've learned over the years. Every time I try to rely on my own understanding, you know what happens? I stumble, I fumble around, my life goes in circles, my paths are not straight, and truth be known, yours aren't either. But scripture tells me to trust in the Lord with all my heart, do not lean on my own understanding. In all my ways acknowledge him, that's God, and he will make sure that my paths are straight. My job is to trust. God's job is to keep my paths straight. Why does God want me to trust? Well, it's all about love. He wants the best for me. God wants to bless me. Proverbs 16, 20 says, those who listen to instruction will prosper. Those who trust the Lord will be joyful. How many of you here this morning would like to prosper? Two of you, three, five, okay few. Well, I do. I'd love to prosper. I want to be blessed. The Bible says those who listen to instruction will prosper. Those who trust the Lord will be joyful. But what does it mean to prosper? What does it mean to be blessed? It means to be on the receiving end of the tangible and intangible favor of God. We like to trust God for things like forgiveness and eternal life and love and peace, but those are things that are intangibles and that it's part of trust. That's part of God's blessing to receive those things in our life. But God, in God's economy, tangible things matter. God wants to bless us with tangible things as well. Maybe God's blessing for you is, is good health. Maybe it's a new career. Maybe it's a new job. God desires to bless us in all sorts of tangible ways. I'm all for being blessed. Every time you see words like trust or faith in the Bible, usually there is a blessing uh, surrounding it. So we've got to trust God in every way, but let's talk for a second about trusting God financially because that's big for us. Tom Cruise made a phrase popular in the 1996 movie, Jerry Maguire, where he played a sports agent, and you know the phrase. It's, show me the money. Yeah, don't act like you've never heard it. Show me the money. That's what God is saying here. Show me the money, Adam and Eve. 
You say you love me, you say, God, this garden is awesome. Look at all the things that we've been blessed with, this bumper crop of fruits and vegetables. And God says, then show me the money. Honor the divine portion. Don't eat what belongs to me. And as we look through scripture, we discover that there's power in this whole financial thing with God. We see it in Genesis, we see it throughout the New Testament. Everything's about finances. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven or hell. 18 of the 38 parables are all about money. Jesus was talking about money always. Throughout the Bible, God talks a lot about money. Why? Because God knew that you and I would struggle with it. There's something about tangible things that tends to mess all of us up. Jesus said one day in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will be there also. Where my treasure is, that's where my heart is going to be. So God is saying, Rod, okay, you say you trust me, you say you don't lean on your own understanding, you say you acknowledge me and follow me, show me the money. And throughout scripture, we see the power of this principle. We see the power of God's portion. Later on, it's called the tithe. What does tithe mean? Literally, it means tent. A portion of everything we make should be brought to the house of worship. I hope you know today that I'm not talking about your giving. Let me say it again. I'm not talking about your giving today. What I'm talking about is what you bring to God. You're bringing. The Bible says we bring the tithe, God's portion to the local house of worship. And it's interesting to see how many blessings are tied to this whole tithing thing. Seems pretty clear, but here's what we do instead. It seems incredible, but a lot of us are eating the tithe, just like Eve did. A lot of us are eating God's portion. Why would we do that? Well, because we're like Eve. We fall prey to the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. I can be like God. I'll determine where my money goes. I'll determine my own destiny. I'll forge my own future. I'll pave uh, my own path. You know, I've heard people say to me over the years, I can't afford to tithe. Do you know how much that would be on my salary? So they eat the tithe. And that's why some people find themselves under a curse. I'm talking about not being in the place where God can bless their life. I talk to people all the time who say, you know, I just can't get ahead in life. It seems like God's against me. I just have one thing after another go wrong in my life. I'm living on the edge. I can't give to God. I can barely make ends meet as it is. My job hasn't been stable. The kids need stuff. The car broke down. Tithe? Are you crazy? Maybe someday when I hit the lotto, but not today. And then many of us, many of these same people are trying to pray, God, please bless my life. But God can't do that because you've taken God's portion. Now I'm talking primarily to believers for a moment because believers can't be eating the tithe. It's God's portion and it's going to mess you up, guaranteed. God said, show me the money. Bring me the tithe into the storehouse. There's power in the first portion of all that we have because God says the first 10% of everything belongs to him. Have you ever thought about this? You know, I only have a few minutes to illustrate this, but the concept of firsts and firstborns and first fruits in the Bible is a huge concept. If you go back and read Joshua chapter 7, you know that Joshua is trying to claim the promised land, and there are 10 cities... And about the first city, what does God say? Hey, Joshua, that city is mine. 
You can do with the stuff in all the other nine cities, whatever you want to do with it, but that first city belongs to me. Bring me the gold and the silver and bring it to my house. One of Joshua's men, a man by the name of Achan, decided to take some of that gold and silver for himself. And the Bible says the gold and the silver he stole was cursed because he did what Eve did. He kept what belonged to God. Personally, I would rather bring 10% and have the other 90% blessed as opposed to having all of my income cursed. How about you? I can't really even describe it or put it into words. If I were on my deathbed today, I would say, you know what, this has been an awesome life and I've been blessed so much more than the money I make. I'm blessed way beyond that. Sometimes I wonder why. Well, I do know that it's been by the grace of God, but, I, but let me give you what I believe is one tangible reason. The Bible tells me that I'm to bring my best to God. Now, please don't even think about wasting your time emailing me or complaining on Facebook that your pastor preached a message on money today. I'd rather you spend some time talking to God about that because, this is, uh, because uh, he's the one who said this stuff, not me. I'm just telling you what God said because I firmly believe that these are principles that change our life. Long time ago, I learned to bring my tithe, the first tenth of my income, to the local house of worship to put it into God's hands. It's an awesome privilege. Jan and I have been doing that for almost 41 years together, and we learned to bring the tithe from our parents when we were kids, and that's where it has to start. We have to be teaching our kids from our, in the earliest years, or it never becomes a part of our habits, a part of our life. So it's always been a part of our life in the early years of our marriage when we were not making very much money, we still brought the tithe. And as the years have progressed and as God has blessed us more financially, we're still convinced about bringing the tithe. Now I'm not telling you any of that to brag, but simply to say that we've been committed to living this biblical principle in our marriage. And when I sometimes wonder why God has blessed us, I know that it's only by the grace of God and it's because we've tried to always put God first in our life and many others here today of you could say the same thing. It's about bringing your best to God. Are you with me? Bringing the tangible things in our life to God means putting everything in God's hands. And when we do that, we feel a little bit like the farmer who's sowing the seed. I'm bringing the first fruit of what I get to God. I've been doing that for so long, uh, I'll never, I've never regretted putting anything in God's hands. All my money, all my time, everything that I've given to God is multiplied many, many times over. And that's part of the blessing of God in my life because God takes all of our stuff and he sows it back into our life and he blesses us beyond our wildest dreams because that's what God does. And some of you may be saying, man, I don't, I don't, why don't I have a life like that? Why don't I have a life that's been blessed? Why don't I have a life full of joy? Why do I feel cursed? Sometimes God feels like he's a million miles away. See, folks, it all goes back to the stuff. It's all about the tangibles. It's about what belongs to God in the first place. It's about sowing the seed. Think about God for a moment and how Jesus was God's tithe. Jesus was God's firstborn, his best. So where did God direct his gift? To a university or a Christian school or a charity or a mission agency? No, God sowed his seed into the local church. Just a few weekends ago, we celebrated Easter. 
when God sowed the seed into the ground and Jesus was buried, but then he rose again and the product of his life has been the growth of the church, the spread of the Christian faith to all parts of the world. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Isn't that incredible? They took the seed, Jesus, and they buried him, but God raised him from the dead, and we are the fruits of his resurrection. He's the vine, we are the branches. This is some awesome stuff. So I am made, and you are made, to be blessable. And it all goes back to what we put into God's hands in the first place. It goes back to bringing God our best. Let's go back to the story of Eve for a moment, and then we're going to tie it to the very last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Malachi puts this stuff in perspective. In Malachi 3, 8, 9, we read, Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me, God says. You, but you ask, what? Uh, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. You see, when we're eating the tithe, we're doing what Eve did. Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room to take it in. Try it, God says. Put me to the test. See, when we eat the tithe, when we rob God, when we choose to be cursed, we're slamming the windows of heaven shut. We're locking them up. We're putting bars on the windows. God wants to bless our lives. And one of the major ways he talks about blessing in the scripture is this whole financial piece. Obviously, God can bless us in lots of other ways than just finances, and he does. Some of you have already found that out, but it all starts with what matters most to us, and that is usually money. You know, here at Redeemer, we've been experiencing the blessing of God over a number of years. It's amazing what God has been doing here. Now we're in the midst of this spring stewardship campaign. We're just kicking it off today. You've already heard a little bit about it. If you read uh, or saw a little bit, if you read the envelope that came in the mail this week. But we're, uh, we're just kicking this off. A lot of what we do here is done on faith. It's done uh, in trust of, for what God will do. Uh, we've stepped out in many areas of ministry and outreach over the years. And, and said, this is what we need to be doing in the community as the body of Christ. We're reaching people with the good news of God's love. And there's a lot more people to reach. And as many of you know, we, are, we were able to acquire five acres of land here on our north side uh, several years ago. And I will tell you today that sooner rather than later, we're going to be looking at that property for expansion. Because we're out of parking, we're out of classroom space. Uh, we need a whole lot more than what we have in facility right now if we're going to continue to grow. And whatever ministry that we're able to do or not do will depend on this congregation's faithfulness to God in the tangible stuff that he's put into our hands. Let me make just one final point this morning about giving uh, before I close. You may not believe this, but it is biblical. Tithing is not being generous. We talk a lot about being uh, generosity is one of the marks of the Christian faith, of a Christ follower, but tithing is not being generous. We're not giving when we tithe. That's what already belongs to God. The Bible says that generosity 
occurs at 11% or 12% or 15% or beyond the tithe. That's when we become generous people. The tithe is the Bible's minimum worship requirement. So I'm boldly challenging you today to start praying about your giving. I'm not trying to step on anyone's toes this morning. I'm not trying to tell you what to give or not give. As always, your giving is between you and God. I simply want you to know what the Bible says about this critical area of our life. And I hope that you'll take time to pray about it, to think about it. What does God want to do in your life? I believe God wants to develop a spirit of generosity in his people. And he's giving, given everything to us, and now he wants to change the world through us. There are so many people here who bring what, God, what belongs to God and put it into his hands already. Some of you have, over the years, given over and above uh, to make stuff happen uh, that we needed to see happen in the life of this church. And I hope that all of us realize that what we have here and what we enjoy each week didn't just happen in a vacuum. Do a quick tour of this building, the worship space, the, the facility, the grounds, the kids and student ministry centers, the offices, the lights, the high-tech equipment, all of this stuff, none of it just happened. You're sitting around some of the people today who have planned for these things, who have brought the tithe over the years, who have given over and above to make it all possible. So my encouragement to you today is don't eat the tithe. Don't keep what is God's. Don't let the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life mess you up. It's time for some of us here to test God, as Malachi says. I'm telling you, God is trustworthy. And my prayer for us over these next few weeks that we will learn to trust in God alone. Let's pray. And I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth to die on a cross and to be resurrected from the dead so that sinners like us could be saved by grace through our faith in him. Help us, we pray, to trust you no matter what we're called upon to do. Give us the will to step out in faithful obedience, especially in this area of our giving where we're not at all that, not all that comfortable to follow as your followers who have been raised up for such a time as this in the life of this church. These are challenging days for the church and for people of faith, but we have, been given a, uh, we've been, we, we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we have been given a spirit of love and power. So keep our hearts open, keep prompting us to greater faith and obedience. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.